Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney, surrounded by future generations of very beautiful and handsome children. We are going to go down the line. We have Jade, we have Jocelyn, we have Noah. Uh, Noah is 11, 11, Jocelyn is 4, and Jade is 10. Jade, what city do you live in? Eagle Mountain, and how do you like it out there in Eagle Mountain? Well, I guess I like it. Very good. And Jocelyn, what city do you live in? I live in West Jordan. West Jordan, that's excellent. And do you like living in West Jordan? Yep. And Noah, what city do you live in? Alpine. In the city of Alpine. So these are all Utah natives. Is there anything you'd like to say to the audience, Noah? I love your mom and dad. He loves his mom and dad. You know, that is, you stick by that. You always tell your mom and dad you love them. No matter how big and tall and strong you get, you always tell them that. They're going to love you for that. My little brother was that way. He's a big, strong guy, and he always tells his mom and dad, my mom and dad, he loves them. At high school, everything else. That's really important. Jocelyn, is there anything you'd like to say? I'm God loves me. God loves Jocelyn. That is so important and so true too. He does love you. Always remember that. Two important messages. I'm not sure if our friend Jade here wants to say anything. Do we want to or no? She does want to say something and Jade is going to say, God always is with you and he will give you help and strength. Listen to these messages from the mouth of babes, ladies and gentlemen, from the mouth of babes. That means you guys really know what's important. So thank you so much, Jade, for being on the show. Thank you, Jocelyn, for being on the show. And thank you, Noah, for being on the program. I'm going to send you right out there. Watch those chords. Perfect. Excellent. We praise the true and living God for allowing us to be on his program. We, may he be with you and us tonight. Got lots to talk about, so hang on. Want to learn the Word of God? Join us Sundays at the University of Utah, either 10 a.m. or 2.30 p.m. as we go through the Word verse by verse. Go to www.campus.com, hyphens between the letters, for more information. Uh, ever listen to AM820? Check it out. Christian radio program here in Utah. Sundays they air Heart of the Matter from 1 to 2. It's a very good radio station. Love AM820, Russ East, and everything that goes on there. Finally, right after tonight's program, you can watch another segment of the Transitions program. It's a, a tool that uh, churches, Christian churches, use uh, all over. It's growing to help Latter-day Saints who are coming out of Mormon, Mormonism transition out. And so uh, right after the program tonight, again, here on TV20, you can check out Transitions. We are in the midst of sending out our fourth quarter newsletter via email. Hope you all uh, get one and take time to read it. It's always an interesting adventure to send these emails out because every, usually in, in the batch, we send out like 5,000 of them uh, or, or more. Uh, we always give one to somebody who is not a fan and or we give one to someone who used to be a fan who is no longer a fan. This is especially the case since the U.S. presidential elections. I want to point out to those Christians who once supported us and were a fan of the program uh, but who now have a disdain for us that you perfectly illustrate our point in Christianity not getting involved in politics. Why? Because it divides the body. 
we haven't changed at all in any of our stances about Mormonism, about the Bible, about who our Lord is, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all we said is, listen, don't be involved in politics. And suddenly our brothers and sisters in the Lord have established a disdain for us. This is the very reason why members of the body and the body of Christ should not be involved in politics. I'm not saying Americans. Americans absolutely have that right in, in whatever you do. But as believers, let's stick together and keep that out from what we're doing. One of the more humorous and revealing emails we received came from a Latter-day Saint who asked four specific questions after receiving the email. Number one, Sean, what was your 2011 income from your ministry? And or do you support yourself by some other means? We used to support ourselves by some other means while in ministry, but uh, that is no longer feasible with the amount of work that we do. My 2011 income was $58,000, which came from working in the ministry full time and developing uh, whatever we have going. All proceeds from donations, book sales that I've written and products go directly to the ministry. Derek handles those in Danita, not to me. And then I'm uh, given a, an income. Question number two, I have watched your programs and you say that you have a checkered past of drinking and drug use. Is that still the case? Uh, yes, I still have a checkered past of drinking and drug use. It's still the case. Uh, uh, but I refuse to stoop to answering such questions. If I, at a low moment in my life, as the host of the show, as a pastor, decide that I am going to have a drink, I will have it because I have that liberty in Christ. I'm not gonna answer to anybody but my Lord, but I'm not gonna tell you because you are perversely interested as to whether I have a checkered past in something. It's none of your business. It doesn't affect me. I have liberty in Christ, but I'm not gonna answer your question with regard to my past. Question number three, you've also mentioned you have been involved in, in adultery in the past. Are you married now and are you faithful? She adds, just looking for a little transparency. Uh, answer, still married and still committing adultery. Every time a scantily clad woman crosses my path, yes, uh, the vision does cause me, according to the Lord, to commit adultery in my heart. I'm sorry, Lord. Looking for transparency? You're a Latter-day Saint and you say you're looking for transparency. I have done my best to be transparent on the program. I like to live transparently. How about you, you whited wall? There is nowhere on earth where people are more opaque and more thick and whited walls than in Mormonism, where they try to hide their sinful nature. Bottom line, I am a sinful man in my flesh. Leave me to my flesh and my flesh alone, and, and there is nothing good in it. Nothing. Never has been, and there never has been in your flesh either. That's something you tend to forget about yourselves. You tend to think that you are something in your flesh you're not. I've never asked you to trust me, to look to me as anything, but I have said, check out the information we give and you decide between you and God if what we say is true. And finally, her last question, it seems probably the most important, did you vote for Barack Obama? This was the most important question of the LDS query onto my stance, so the answer is no. Uh, why did I not? Uh, my kingdom is no more of this world than it was for my king. Uh, it does not matter to me who rules. Uh, I will be obedient and subject, whether it was Obama or Romney, I would have submitted to their leadership. But admittedly, I am thrilled God did not put the Latter-day Saint on the throne. It's interesting to me that the woman did not ask about the fruit of the ministry. 
or my thoughts or my heart toward the Lord or his word, or if I have had or if we have had any reportable success in bringing people uh, to light and to happiness or truth. All she wanted to know were insights about my person, uh, where I fail, things she could attack me upon. See, when a person uh, questions or outright challenges Mormonism, this is their method and mode of response. Attack the questioner. Because in their mind, they cannot allow something to be wrong with their church. So therefore, they look at the person and attack him or her. Uh, in valid Christianity, this is never the case because all Christians realize that they are failures in their flesh and do have sin, even as believers. And so we look to our king and God who didn't have sin to be our leader and guide. You can always find proofs that I am less than reliable, which is why I don't ask you to rely on me. But do check our facts and see if what we say is true. Speaking of the election, we have tried since 2007 to warn viewers especially Christians, the motivations that move Mormonism behind the scene. What do they talk about amongst themselves? How are they moved and what is their mindset relative to this world? We have ardently maintained that from the beginning of Mormonism, they have sought for theocratic control if possible. Few listened, in fact, like Hungry Fish, the evangelical community as a whole swallowed Mormonism hook, line, and sinker and tried to elect one of them. Last night, I received the copy of an email that was sent out to a number of active LDS believers around the globe. I'm sure they thought it would be read by LDS eyes only, or at least hope. The date was November 8th, 2012, two days after the election. The title of this email, The Real Winner in Campaign 2012. It was written or said to be written by LDS professor Dr. Ed Lawrenson, and it has been published on LDS-led websites like Freedom Forum, Strong Armor, and The Cause of Liberty, all LDS run. The e email was given to me by an inactive Latter-day Saint who is still on the email list of a bunch of her active uh, LDS friends. This is what the email says. Listen closely, my Christian friends, to what is said behind the scenes. Uh, it says, if you're like me and have been huddled in the fetal position in the corner since the election, this will make you so happy. The church is true, exclamation point. God knows all things from beginning to end, and we should never doubt that. We should not shrink, but stand up and voice our conservative values so as the rest of the nation falls into despair, we are the light to help them out of the darkness. Go put on your invisible missionary badges and get to work. Love you all. P.S. Get your food storage ready now. Okay? So this is what Dr., uh, this was, that preface, the email, this is what Dr. Lawrenson wrote. It is election night 2012 and I'm sitting here at my computer listening to Governor Romney's concession speech, trying to come to grips with his defeat, our defeat. And in my mind comes three interesting thoughts. The first comes with scripture from Doctrine and Covenants. Joseph Smith said, behold, in the Lord's name, I will hasten my work in its time. The author goes and writes, if the Lord's work is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man, and if that process begins by hearing about the church and seeing its members, 
then the sooner and faster the greatest number of people can see and hear the Latter-day Saints, especially exemplary Latter-day Saints like the Romneys, the more the work is hastened. And though the church has 55,000 missionaries who are quietly and patiently roaming the world, knocking on doors, the Lord has brought the LDS governor, meaning Romney, and his LDS family into the very homes of millions of people around the U.S. and the world via TV, radio, and the Internet for more than a year now. People who might never have received or accepted the missionaries or LDS neighbors, let alone have learned about the LDS way of life. But now they have watched and listened and learned, and many of them will likely be more curious and receptive to our missionaries in the future. And that also goes for many of the evangelicals, Protestants, and Catholics who locked arms with the Latter-day Saints, thanks to Glenn Beck, during this long presidential campaign. Bottom line, the Romneys lost a hard-fought political battle, but they and the church won a decisive, long-awaited cultural and spiritual victory in opening the minds and hearts of millions. This is their objective. This article goes on, it's long, and it talks about what would have happened had Romney won, and it shows how that would not have been in the church's best interest. And then it summarizes with a little story told by LDS apologist, now deceased, Hugh Nibley. This is the story that the article summarizes with, and it's a powerful metaphor written by Nibley. Nibley writes, on the last night of a play, the whole cast and crew stay in the theater until the small or not so small hours of the morning strike, striking at the old set. So the imagery is they are tearing down an old set that this play was held on. If there is to be a new opening soon, as the economy of the theater requires, it is important that the new set should be in place and ready for the opening night. All the while the old set was finishing, its uselessness and being taken down, the new set was rising in splendor to be ready for the drama that would immediately follow. So it is with this world. It is not our business to tear down the old set. The agencies that do that are already hard at work and very efficient. The set is coming down all around us with spectacular effect. Our business, meaning the Mormon's business, is to see that the new set is well on the way for what is to come. And that means a different kind of politics beyond the scope of tragedy that is now playing its closing night. We are preparing for the establishment of Zion, end quote. We are preparing for the establishment of Mormonism. This, we have said from the onset, is the underbelly, the underlying theme of every single ward house, steakhouse, meeting house, temple ritual that goes on. For Mormonism to take over this world in a theocratic way. They failed with Romney. They're going to continue to try in the next four years. Now, maybe that's when the world will say we need an economic savior and we're willing to put him in office. I don't know. But the Lord did not put one in this time. I hope you will take this type of information and send it out to your uh, uh, Christian pastors and Christian leaders and show them what the LDS say behind the scenes to each other, while in the public, they say a very different thing.
Of course, we received a number of emails concerning a call we got last week from Nancy, who said uh, in reference, when I said that you go into Mormon temples and are touched in secret places, uh, Nancy called and freaked out and screamed into the phone, you're a liar, a liar, a liar. And then she hung up and had a stroke and they put her in the hospital. I don't know what happened to her. But in reference to my statement about what will forever be known as Temple Touchin, uh, Sandra Tanner of UTLM.org emailed me and said, you should have clarified with the LDS woman that they changed that practice in 1990. They no longer touch the skin, just the forehead. If she did not go through the temple before April 1990, she has not experienced what you did. Okay, uh, Jim, another faithful viewer, wrote, My brother, I guess you have realized since Tuesday's program how out of touch you looked not knowing about the change in the temple regarding uh, the way initiatory work is done. No, you did not lie. So you don't have to eat anything laughing out loud. But you must have sounded wacky to those members who have had their temple endowments since the change. With respect to touching prior to that change, you were absolutely correct. Okay, so first to Nancy. I want you to know, I do not purposefully lie on this program. I do my very best to share what I know to be factual or to have had a personal experience the thing myself. If it's an opinion, I try to tell that to the audience. When people accuse me, and you, got, you Mormons accuse me of lying all the time, you are mistaken. Maybe I'm in error. I can make errors, certainly. But to me, lying is purposeful. It's a purposeful deceit. Mistaken, sure. Any error I make is not an attempt to lie. It's just an error. Joseph Smith lied in his presentations. Uh, I'm just stupid sometimes. There's a difference. All right. Now, when I went through the temple, they did strip us nude. They did put us on this thing where the sides were open to our nakabanchiness, that's nude in German, and we did walk through there nude, and, and they did touch us on strategic locations under the gown, all right? And my dad did come out and say, someone touched my dork. That was said by him when he came out. But... They changed the practice, all right? And some of you have suggested that I should bone up on these changes so that when I explain them that um, everybody can feel good that they don't do this anymore. Why should I do that? When I was LDS, they went and they touched my thighs between my legs and rubbed water and oil on them. A stranger did, okay? So... If I play into to the LDS game of changing and all I do is say, oh, no, 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 no. When you go into their temples, they just touch your forehead and give you a nice blessing. I'm letting them dictate the rules of engagement. And I let everybody who's going through there now not realize that they, you used to be touched in a different way then. In addition, it also allows though, who, those who have gone in like I did and allowed a stranger to touch them in these places, to say, what, what was that all about? You know, what was going on then and why did I agree to it? So here's the real point. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it says this in Romans, listen, all right? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved, okay? That is the gospel message. 
It does not include anything, any of the schnitt done in Mormon temples past or present. This is the real point of it all, okay? All right. And with that, how about a moment from the word? We're going to hear a verse from, I'm not sure where. Let's hit it. Wretched man that I am. That's the next verse. All right, we left, we left off at John 17, 4. One of the major differences between Mormonism and biblical Christianity is the respective views of Jesus. Since the establishment in 1830, Mormonism has said very deleterious things about our Lord, things which Mormonism takes in stride, but Christians shudder to even consider, things which legitimize Jesus as our God and King. Well, our passage tonight in John 17, 5, Jesus in prayer says to God, the Father, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. From this, we learn a few things. We hear Jesus, God in the flesh, requesting that the Father glorify him with the glory Jesus had with him, before this world existed. The Christian manual supports the words of Jesus as having all the glory of God completely. Listen to what it says in John 1, 3 and 14. In the beginning, speaking of Jesus, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, Jesus, and without Him was not anything made that was made, verse 14. And the Word, Jesus, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was with God, Jesus was God in the beginning. In John 10, 30, Jesus said plainly, I and my Father are one. When Philip asked Jesus to show the disciples the Father, Jesus said to him in John 14, 9, Have I been so long with you, and yet you do not know me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? And then Paul writes in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Finally, in Colossians 1:15, speaking of Christ Jesus, it says, Who is the image of the invisible God? He is the firstborn of every creature. In his prayer to the Father, Jesus, having finished the work given him to do as a man in flesh, he asked God to now glorify him with the glory he shared with the Father before the world was. 
You know, I have to admit, even among Christian believers sometimes, the identity of Christ, the Father, the Holy Spirit is difficult. In Mormonism, they take these difficulties and they greatly exacerbate them by bringing in these ideas that Heavenly Father is God and that Jesus is his son who's learning to be a God and the Holy Ghost, when he gets a body, will become a God and all this stuff. We Christians have a century-old concept, which was established by men, by the way, that is called the Trinity. Um, it is a tradition and typically defined in some way or another as God being three in one, right? This statement automatically causes many people to try and visualize three persons crammed into one God, all right? And... I think in light of helping the, understand, the LDS understand the Christian view, a better way to summarize, and I'm, I, I humbly present this to you, but a better way to summarize God is that is to say God is three from one. He is three from one. And I'm going to justify this now. Three from one creates a very different image than three in one, in light of all the scripture I read, I see God in and as the Father. I see God in and as the Son. And I see God in and as the Holy Spirit. This is not modalism. The Father is not the Son, which is what modalism said. It is God representing in, one God representing in Father, in Son, Holy Spirit. This imagery is supported by the Latin word persona, which is where we get the word persons. And that's where it gets confusing because we use and apply that term persons in the concept of the Trinity. But the Latin uh, etymology for the word persons actually means a mask or it means a character, all right? So what would happen is an actor, one single actor, would take up the mask of, let's say, the sun in the sky and, and re represent that persona, that same single actor would then pick up uh, a mask of the moon, the persona of the moon, and represent that character, and then they would pick up a mask of the stars and represent that persona or character. One individual represented by the three personas, you see? And so it is with God presenting himself in the persona of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Therefore, the Father is not singularly God in God's manifestations to man, but he is fully God. Neither is the Son singularly God in his manifestations to man, but he was and is fully God, and the same with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we must be able to see that singular God manifests himself in three distinct personas, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who in the end are one. The widely accepted definition of God as three in one trinity have, in my estimation, led many to errantly see God, the Father, the Father as God, while struggling to include and sometimes even excluding the Son and the Holy Spirit. I blame this, as I said in part, to, to the three in one description and humbly submit to you, you consider it three from one. I think it's better understood that way. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father, God, we love you and seek you and need you. We pray you will be with those who are seeking for truth, that you will help those who are struggling with their uh, religious inclinations and open up their eyes and minds and ears 
to a relationship with you directly, Lord. We pray for this and those who are in our audience, those who are volunteering, who help, who are our staff, everything else. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, last week we sort of summarized more than 60 hours of information presented relative to the construction of Joseph Smith's Book of Mormonian. And I made mention that by and through this 60 weeks of examination, I have grown extremely bored, uh, tired of reading this counterfeit. It's like this. It's, it's like I've gone to every amusement park ride in the world, the best of them, Disneyland, Magic Mountain, everywhere else. And that's akin to my reading the Bible. That's riding the very best rides on earth. And when I go to the Book of Mormon, it's like being forced to ride one of those little mechanical ponies out in front of grocery stores. I mean, I, I'm, I'm on that dang thing, and it's making me sick, and I've been on all the great rides reading the Bible, but that darn Book of Mormon is this dirty, rotten, rancid mechanical horse in front of a Tijuana grocery store. So I, I can't do it anymore, man. Uh, we've, we've, we've gone through it all. Tonight, we are cutting the onion up and we're throwing it in the trash, and we're moving forward. But admittedly, there are a number of things that have not been examined that would be beneficial to our study. So we're gonna lay them out here so you can know, if you're inclined, where to go and where to find them. All the resources we're gonna give you tonight are available at www.utlm.org. You can go to that and buy any of these books, and you can inform yourself on the stuff we haven't really included fully in our study. The first one is Simon Southerton's Losing a Lost Tribe, Native Americans, DNA, and the Mormon Church. I strongly recommend that book. If you're interested in the whole DNA discussion, simply put, the concept is complex. And it says that mitochondrial DNA is taken from a group of surviving Native Americans, and it demonstrates that they come from Asia and not from Israel or the 10 lost tribes of Israel as the Book of Mormon claims. Now, here's the thing. That book does not nail the Book of Mormon argument shut in terms of DNA, all right? But if that book from Sutherland had come out in the 1950s or 60s, it would have nailed the Book of Mormon discussion shut. Why? Because back then when I was a member, prophets on down to zealous Sunday school teachers were telling all of us that all the American Indians came from Jerusalem. With no DNA evidence to back up that that's not the case, they perpetuated that myth. And I walked around till I was in my 30s believing that every single Native American came from Lehi and, and his sons Laman and Lemuel. In the 1970s, they, they supported this by every Book of Mormon had pictures of American Indian uh, uh, tribes and things in America and, and saying this is their history. Uh, they had plays, they had songs, they had all kinds of stuff that made us all, they had a uh, Indian placement program where Indians were taken off the reservation and put in white homes so that they could become more white and delightsome. I mean, this was all part of the 1950s, 60s, 70s church that I grew up in. Well, then comes DNA. You know, and the Mormon church says, uh-oh, we got to start backtracking. The 1971 Book of Mormon has Prophet Spencer W. Kimball say, uh, I mean, not the Book of Mormon, but the LDS Prophet Spencer W. Kimball said in 1971, quote, the ancestors of all of the Indian and Mestizo tribes in North and South and Central America and in the islands of the sea, the ancestors are from Lehi. That's what the prophet of the Mormon church said in nine. All 
the ancestors came. And even the islands of the sea came from Lehi. We bought it because there was no DNA studies. And even in 1981, LDS apostle Bruce R. McConkie wrote in the introduction of the Book of Mormon that after thousands of years, Book of Mormon peoples all were destroyed except the Lamanites, and they, listen, are the principal ancestors of the American Indians. That's what the Book of Mormon said all the way up until 2007. And then in light of the DNA evidence, they changed that. This is what it says now. After thousands of years, all were destroyed except the Lamanites, and they are among the ancestors of the American Indians. They are among the ancestors. The, the, it said before they are the principal ancestors, and now they revise it and say they are among. Why do they say that? Because you cannot DNA test every single Native American uh, in this continent. And they know that, and so they're able to say they're among them. And that way it legitimizes Southerton's DNA testing. This is how Mormonism operates, whether it's American Indians or changing the nature of God or temple rites or the first vision. They don't give a dang about what they change because they know they have people who want to swallow the hook and bait and just be led by the nose because they don't want to think and don't want to step outside the box. Another demand that uh, you might want to, uh, another book that you want to check out is the Tanner's 3,913 Changes in the Book of Mormon. A very good book. Certainly that's a lot of changes in the most corrected book on earth. Uh, author Dan Vogel wrote a very insightful book, which I recommend. It's called Joseph Smith, The Making of a Prophet. Check that book out if you want to see some insight into the Book of Mormon. Uh, the Creation of the Book of Mormon by Lamar Peterson is a good read. An Examination of B.H. Roberts' Secret Manuscript by Wesley Walters is an insightful book. Of course, there's M.T. Lamb's The Golden Bible, Is It From God? This is a superb book. It's an indictment on the Book of Mormon, and it alone shows how feeble this Book of Mormon is in terms of its narrative as compared to the Bible, and it was written back in the 1800s. You can get it at UTLM. I strongly suggest it. David Pursuit's Joseph Smith and the Origins of the Book of Mormon is a fantastic read comparing how he used view of the Hebrews to compile this book. An Insider View of Mormon Origins by Grant Palmer is one of my favorite books because Palmer is such a good writer and he comes from the inside. It's a mind blower. Another book of the Tanners worth getting is Joseph Smith's Plagiarism of the Bible in the Book of Mormon. The Quest for the Gold Plates by Stan Larson as well worth it. Quetzalcoatl was Jesus in the Americas by Eric Johnson. Good stuff. Studies of the Book of Mormon by B.H. Roberts, a Mormon apostle. Even more. Any book or compilation by Michael Marquardt. Michael Marquardt, remember that name, is fantastic stuff to show you the contents of the Book of Mormon are nothing but a religious fraud. Of course, facts, no matter how apparent and convincing that they may be, mean very little true a true believer. There are still people walking around on this earth who are convinced that it's flat. They are convinced. It doesn't matter what pictures they see from the Hubble spacecraft or what things they see from space or what science proves or any of that. They are convinced this earth is flat. And the Muslims are more, more different in their convinced uh, state that the Quran is from God and the Jehovah's Witnesses that the New World Translation is right. Every single Mormon who is a believing Mormon 
blindly accepts that book as being the most correct book on the face of the earth. And here's the thing, you choose to be blind. You choose to close your ears and you choose to stop your heart. And I'm gonna tell you something right now, you are responsible for that choice. You are saying, I care more about my marriage, my family, my job, my position in the church than I do about the truth and the Holy Spirit of God that is calling me to come out from this church, to come out from this fraud and to have a relationship with him. You are choosing that. You are responsible for the blinders you've put on. And, and I was once in the same boat and so is every single person who has decided to walk. Jesus said in numerous ways and at different times, we're gonna to go to the phones next. For this people's heart is wax gross. Their eyes are dull of hearing. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. He is the solution. Him and him alone. And once you begin to say, I want that in my life, he is willing and, and able to start working on that heart and those eyes and that ears and those ears. Pray for those who do not know. Share with them the word of God. Let us do the dirty work in ministries like this. Your job is to love those people and, and share with them Jesus that opens up the eyes and ears. Okay, before we go to the phones, phones 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. We just want to thank you for your support of the ministry. We know it's the end of the year. We know times are tough for a lot of people. And uh, so if uh, only if you're in a position and only if the Lord so leads uh, uh, and if you're able to support us in one way or another, please consider us. You can go to www.hotm.tv and, and see how to help us through prayer, volunteerism, financially. Uh, again, and we always say this and we mean it, no widow's might, nobody on a fixed limited income who can't pay their bills, Keep your money. You need to survive, and that's how God wants it. But if you're in a position and so led, we can use the help uh, as we prepare for 2013. We have Garth in Salt Lake City, first-time caller, LDS. Garth, you're on Heart of the Matter. Garth, you're on the air. Okay. you got to turn your TV down if it's on. Okay, just turned it down all the way. All right, you're on the air, Garth. Okay, is it Sean? Yes, it is. Yeah, Sean, I, I'm calling because uh, I was disturbed by the, the letter that you received from the uh, woman that was uh, challenging Barack Obama's uh, ability to become president, and then the letter from the BYU president. And I, I, I just wanted to say that I am an active LDS high priest, and I, among hundreds of thousands of other Mormons, voted for Barack Obama. We okay. did not vote for Mitt Romney because we do not believe that he is a good Christian. We do not believe that his actions as uh, uh, CEO of the Bain Corporation, where he destroyed people's lives, including, by the way, many members of the Mormon Church, and destroyed their, their uh, financial uh, stability. They, he destroyed their uh, retirements and, and took their jobs and shipped them off overseas. And I don't think that what he did is moral. And so I've been a Republican all my life, but I, based upon that, voted, and I'm proud of it, Barack Obama. Hey, listen. That you should realize that there were, after all, 200,000 votes for Barack Obama in the state of Utah. Well, remember, the state of Utah is... Vote. Is, 
is probably about 50%, 60% maybe LDS. So the 200,000. Right. That's probably true. Yeah, but here's the other thing. I, good for you. You're able to think as a Latter-day Saint outside the box, but you be honest with me. You've got 15 million members. You've got however many hundred thousands you say who are LDS who voted for Barack. Be honest. Don't you believe it was tacitly inferred and it came down from anybody who was in leadership that Romney was the guy? Oh, no, uh, you know, no question about it. Yeah, no question. that's my only point. And, and, I, and I appreciate I've watched your show since its inception. Oh. inception. And I appreciate it because I don't think that any organization should go without challenge. Good for you. Uh, I, I like you. I believe that this makes us better. And, and, we're, uh, and the church is changing, and I don't know that, that uh, you're not one of the people that's uh, bringing that change about. But slowly and slowly we're changing. We've been racist in the past. We've done a lot of terrible things in, in our history, and yet we're changing slowly. And most of the people in the church are good, really good people. And they're just trying, they're trying their best to live up to Christ's standards. Garth, Garth, listen, I love this call. I love it because, listen, if the Latter-day Saints, I have said this so long, if they want to keep a lot of their peculiarities, I mean, as they change, I just hope that the, the people like you will start to rise up and say, look, let's get rid of some of this stuff that has long uh, just, just, just not been real, has been held from us. And, and, and open up. I mean, the days of when Sterling McMurrin and, and, and Hubie Brown were in there, those were, were and, 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 and McKay would, and you guys spoke more free, but it has become a machine. And it has become, uh, in my opinion, a horrible machine. Well, uh, I, I tend to agree with that. Let me say that uh, Hubie Brown is one of my favorites, and let me tell you what he said. He said, always speak the truth. He said, if people don't agree with you, it doesn't matter if you know the truth, speak it. And he said, be, be a, uh, be a, argue with, with the people. And he said, the church should not be founded upon uh, myths and, and lies, but it should be based upon the truth. And if you find that you're being taught something that isn't true, and a lot of the things that we're taught are simply opinions of people. I know. We're being taught that you should challenge it if you know uh, the truth. And, and, I, and I, I think Hubie Brown is one of the great men in the church. I would agree with you. Garth, thank you so much for your insights. That was a, a, a breath of fresh air from what we've uh, been uh, breathing for quite a while. Well, I appreciate your show, Sean. And uh, uh, I want you to know that I, I, I am a Mormon, but Christ is a central focus of my life. Praise God, Garth. God bless you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Now, listen, I already know. I know that... You know, there is a lot of ground between Garth and I that we would have to discuss doctrinally that we would differ on. But you know what? It's that kind of, 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 of attitude that is going to cause the members to start to come up and tell their leaders no more of this. We are looking for the members to, and the church often responds to what the members are doing. They act like they don't, but they often respond to it. If we could get what happened in the worldwide church of God, to happen with the LDS church, we would see millions of people come around. And that's what we hope for. So please be patient on those types of discussions. I think they're important and very good. All right, let's go to uh, Christine and Murray. Christine, I know it's Murray, so just calm down. Uh, Chris, uh, Christian, Christian, you're on Heart of the Matter. Christian. Christian. 
You mean there's not a Christian in Murray? <laughs> Christian? <laughs> I guess not. All right, we're going to go to Eli and Ogden. Eli, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. How are you doing? Doing well. How are you? Hey, uh, good. I, I'm glad you brought up the, the idea of the Trinity. I've had uh, some discussions with uh, a couple of my LDS friends, and I've tried to explain it to them. And I bring up two issues in their faith, and they, I, I don't know if I'm approaching it correctly. Maybe you can help me. But how I explain the Trinity, the triune God to them is, let's take you, for example. You are one man, but you manifest yourself in three different ways. You manifest yourself as a minister, you manifest yourself as a father, and you manifest yourself as a son to your parents. Yeah. So you serve three separate roles, but you're still one person. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, then, think, that's a, I think that's a very good one as well. Uh, uh, I think it's an excellent one, Eli, and it helps also, Yeah, go ahead. Okay, and also the one that I get them on, too, is when they start talking about their works doctrine. I just asked them with a question of, one, on whose authority does the works doctrine come from? Where in the Bible can you find that where it says you have to go to the temple and you have to give your tithing and you have to go on a mission? And says, Show me in the Bible where it says that. And then I give them the question of, well, if you do these things, when do you, do, when do you know you've done enough? And what assurance do you have that you're getting into heaven? Yeah. And it leaves them in a quandary because they don't know when they've had enough. You know, and they ask me, well, what's your assurance? And I says, Jesus' resurrection is my assurance. You know? Amen. So, hey, Eli, just um, one, one thing, let me springboard off your comment, because earlier we just talked about an apostle named Hugh B. Brown. In Hugh B. Brown's book, he talks about another apostle uh, by which the law school at BYU is named after, the J. Reuben Clark. And Hubie Brown tells the story of running into J. Reuben Clark at his house in his uh, later aged days. And he was crying on his porch, crying and weeping. And Hubie Brown said, what's wrong? And he said, I just hope I've done enough. I just hope I've done enough. And your point is perfectly set. Bringing Hubie Brown in that is that how do you know when enough is enough? And that what, is why we have the grace what, of Jesus Christ. What assurance do you have? And then when they, when they say they don't have assurance, they, are you comfortable with that? Yeah. Oh, I'm comfortable in my faith because I know Christ, the only way is Christ. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. Great points, Eli. Really appreciate your insights, my friend. Thanks, Sean. Okay, God bless. Bye-bye. <laughs> My wife and I were having a discussion earlier about this, and um, she, she was talking about how difficult it can be to be a Christian because sometimes you don't feel as though you have the, the whole uh, power of God behind you in your lowly state, and I'm paraphrasing. And so we talked about how, listen, if you want as a person to feel like you have power, you want to get behind a, a military situation. You want, to get, you want to join the Third Reich. You want to join a church that has a lot of money and a lot of real estate. You want to join uh, all these things that make you feel like you're powerful. But we know those things are not of God. We know that when we look at Scripture, when we look at 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 1 Corinthians, that he uses the weak things of the world. He uses the despised. He, he uses the sinful the, the debased, he says, of the world to confound the things that are mighty. We look at Israel right now. It is a postage map, postage stamp on the postcard of this world. It's nothing. It's a little blip. And in time, the entire world will circle that thing and it will stand because the, the God loves to have the small things confound the mighty. You know why? Because he's glorified. 
He is glorified when the, when the small, insignificant, weak things are able to overcome the mighty and the proud and the rich and the wealthy. Jesus, who created all things, created his own body. And what did he make himself? A six foot seven, 300 pound Adonis with flowing hair and tan skin and perfect teeth? No, he made himself that no man would want anything to do with him. He made himself of no reputation. He was a little Jew. That's what he was. You would have seen him in the marketplace and you would have thought nothing of him. You probably wouldn't want him in your, in your uh, house. He was so unassuming. He was not beautiful or handsome the way the pictures paint him. He was a very, very insignificant figure physically. Why? Because that is how God works. He takes the broken, weak, lost things of this world and he shows the mighty, this is how I do things. It's in and through these things. You got to understand that. That's the difference. We're going to Susie in Spanish Fork. First time. Susie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, Susie. You got to turn your TV down. It's off. All right. You're on the air. Okay. I just wanted to make a comment about your previous caller, Garth. Yeah. I'm 45 years old. I was raised in Utah, non-LDS. Mm -hmm. And the integrity that Garth had on that phone call just left me in awe. Hmm. I would love for Garth to be the president of the LDS Church. Wouldn't that be great? Huh? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah. I'm actually in awe. I have never met any... I have great friends that are LDS, but never once have I met someone with the, one with the integrity that, that he exudes. Yeah. It was amazing, and he's an amazing man, and God bless him. Thanks so much, Susie. We hope more will come out like that. I really appreciate the call. I want to tell you something, and I got to explain this honestly because I've been in the LDS thing for a while. Uh, there, there is a certain segment, and they're usually represented as the intellectuals. Uh, the Sunstone Magazine, the dialogue readers. Usually they, uh, they are more liberal in their thinking and politics. They usually embrace the LGBTYZs and all that stuff. And they typically have the demeanor that Garth has. What happens is, is Garth has a very uh, good Christian heart, and I don't, he may be a Christian in his heart, converted, born again, and a believer. But what happens in the Mormon church is, these people who go this intellectual route, they distance themselves from the dogma and the stupidity that continues to go on in Mormonism, but they embrace elements of humanism. And so what happens is the, the Lord often takes a back seat. Or, or, or following him in those ways often takes a back seat. So you will find a lot of very, very good, astute, uh, humanistically based LDS people who are still in there, who are in there not because they believe the doctrine, but just because they have taken the good from the Mormon church, discarded the bad, but they haven't been able to embrace Christ in the sense that he should be taught. That's Mormonism's fault. If they have been teaching the true Christ, we would see those liberal types come to know who Jesus is and then mold their attitudes to fit more of his walk, which still could be liberal. Uh, but And that's kind of the disconnect that I see. And I don't know if I articulated it well, but I agree with her. I think men and women like that are going to help the church. But I just wish that it was more. Uh, and, and Garth did say he loves Jesus. And, and we hear a lot of LDS say that. But you got to talk. I didn't have time to talk to Garth about doctrine. 
Is he God in the flesh? Did he do this? Are you saved by his grace and grace alone? Garth, stuff like that. And that's when we would really get to his heart relative to the things that are so important. And that's his relationship with him. All right, let's go to uh, Christian in Murray again. Another Christian in Murray. You're on the air. Yeah, hello. Hey, Christian, you got to turn your TV down. I, I did. It's down. All right, you're on the air. Okay, this is Sean, right? It is. Okay. Uh, well, I just wanted to make a comment on uh, the email that the person was talking about, your income. Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, read 1 Corinthians 9, 7 through 10, if that's all right. All right, do it quick. Okay. What soldier has to pay his own expenses? What farmer plants a vineyard and doesn't have the right to eat some of the fruit? What shepherd cares for a flock of sheep and isn't allowed to drink some of the milk? Am I expressing merely a human opinion, or does the law say the same thing? For the law of Moses says you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. Was God thinking of only about an oxen when he said this? Wasn't he actually speaking to us? Yes, it was written for us, so that one who plows and the one who threshes the grain might both expect a share of the harvest. Christian, really appreciate that biblical backup. Thank you so much, my brother. God bless you, man. God bless you. Bye-bye. We're going to Robert in West Valley, first-time caller. Robert, you're on Heart of the Matter. You're on the air, Robert. Yeah, Sean, this is, this is Robert Tafoya. Hey, I, I listen to your station all every Tuesday and that, you know, and, and I thank the Lord that you're doing a great work for him, bringing the glory to him and to him alone. Thanks, my brother. Uh, yeah, and I, I was raised up a, a Catholic religion, you know, and uh, and uh, I was went to school for it and everything, and and uh, that's what they taught me, you know, that if I believe in the Catholic religion that, that and, and receive all the sacraments and everything, which I did, that, that you know, I would go to heaven. Mm -hmm. But, but when, when the death of my friend happened, you know, and, and, and I was supposed to be with him, and, and, and uh, I, uh, I wasn't there. And then I thought to myself, what would have happened to me if, you know, I believed in God, but what would have happened to me if I had died in that situation? Mm. And then I started searching the Word of God. I started searching the truth. Mm. And that's and when I started searching that, you know, a lot of things were kind of complicated. But when I started looking to the Word of God, mm -hmm. things started to, 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 to come into view. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to this Christian store and I asked them what it is to be born again, wow. and, 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 and they, they told me what it is just to believe, you know, and, and, and I received Jesus at that time. And when I started reading the Bible again, Boy, it was a whole different thing. Isn't that great? What a great story. That's exactly how it works. That's exactly that's, how it happens. And the thing that I wanted to say, you're talking about the triune God. The best thing that I can, you know, that, that comes to me, and I've explained this to a lot of people, you know, the triune God, they say, is one God, three persons, and one God. Well, just like an egg, you have three different substances on that egg. You've got the, the shell, you've got the white, and you've got the yolk. Yeah. But if you take away from one of those, it's not an egg, is it? No, it's not. Well, no, it's not. That 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 that's how I. That's how high. Even with the fruit, you know, you have the you you have the outer part and 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 the, and, and the, the 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 fruit that you eat, you know, and the seed. That's three parts right there. But then it's one. It's it's one fruit. Amen. Hey, Robert. Thanks so much for your insights. God bless you. God bless you too, Sean. Okay. Thanks for watching. Bye bye. Uh, listen, in the Old Testament, God used kings and rulers, Babylon, Persia, Northern Kingdom. Why does Sean say God does not give in to politics? Uh, he sent his own son, his king, uh, as the king. He's the king now. 
All right, in the Old Testament, they were under a completely different type of dispensation. They worked under the law. Everything was socioeconomic. Everything worked, interacted with each other. When Jesus came, he said, my kingdom's not of this world. And he established his church. And we are separate from the world. And we wait for the kingdom to come. That is why. And so from a New Testament perspective, that's what I'm talking about. Listen, our good friend Rusty and Barb, they told, I was talking to them the other day, and they said something that was really important. And I want those of you who have been LDS for quite a who have been out of the Mormon church into the Christian religion or out of the Mormon church and still bitter, I want to bring something up to you. Imagine for a second that um, you had cancer, terminal, terminally ill, and you um, were saved from that. You were healed from that by, let's just say, modern medicine. It's going to be a God in the end, but we'll just say it was modern medicine. And let's say that you moved on for the rest of your life and all you did was look back and talk about your cancer. I had cancer. I had cancer. Oh, it almost killed me. Oh, that cancer. I'm afraid it's going to come back. That cancer, 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 cancer. All right? And you forget the fact you were healed. You forget the fact that you were healed and you were given a new lease on life to look at life in a new way and to move on beyond the years when you were infected with the dreaded disease. We bring this to your point because so many people, and it's understandable, you can see me here on camera get upset for my past in Mormonism too. There's deep roots within that. But still, there comes a time when you've got to say, praise God, I was healed. I was let go of that. This occurs best. When you choose to open up this book, read it, study it, pray, go to a Christian church, hear the word taught, get involved, serve, all those things Christ taught, okay? So there's a time, there's a, there's a period of time when bitterness will be part and anger and all that, but you gotta let that go some point in time. Consider that in your life, move forward, put your hand to the plow and don't look back. See you next week.